Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Welcome back to the Back Pain and Injury Podcast. My name is Dave Elliott. I'm joined here in the flesh by my co-host, Rob Bevan. Good afternoon, Dave. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good, mate. Look, I mean, I'm looking forward to this today. We are doing some fireside chat, some behind the treatment room door, backstage, talking about our week as working chiropractors. Now, what we've been talking about, because we, we do tend to chat backs when we're uh, together. Most therapists will know you can't really sit with each other for more than two minutes before the topic ranges on to work. <laughs> um, we've been talking about uh, the importance of exercises. Rob, you had some interesting patients in this week, and I really liked one of your analogies for how you explained the, the importance or the, yeah. the necessity for exercise in certain modalities. Yeah, so this was a patient, if I if want the one that we're talking about, the patient who came in to see me was a uh, an elderly chap who came in and he said, you know, hi, my you know, here's my MRI scan and he handed it over his x-ray results and he said, yeah, so I need a, I've been told I need a double knee replacement. Um, and I was kind of just wondering, you know, A, if you can help me not have one or just, you know, what are my other options basically? Um, and he hadn't really kind of had any physio or any other hands-on or any other help. So he was just looking to see what his options were. Mm. And the conversation I had with him and quite a few other people is kind of what he's looking to get out of that. Because his first thing was, I want to be out of pain. And, you know, I want to not have any pain in my knees when I wake up, when I go for a dog walk, when I play bowls, all those type of things. Yeah. And the conversation I kind of had with him was, you know, any conservative or passive care, and I think this is really important to note, it doesn't necessarily decrease pain from something like osteoarthritis in our knees. And it's something which is people often assume that when they're, you know, having some physio, having some massage or doing some exercises, it's to help reduce pain. And the evidence isn't there that it's very effective for actually reducing pain. But what it does do is increase that joint strength, you know, or capacity or functional capacity or whatever terms you want to use. If we improve the capacity of someone's knee health, what that means is they can do more with often the same amount of pain. So, for example, this chap had a lot of pain playing bowls, mm. and bowls was you know his his big thing, and that he lunged forward when he was you know throwing, tossing a bowl, tr- tossing bowling, bowling a bowl, bowling the bowl, throwing, throwing whatever it's called. Yeah. when he was doing that, you know, it was really quite sore. And when he played a played a match, it ended up something like a hundred and twenty lunges was effectively what he was doing, and he couldn't do that anymore. It was very sore. Um, he was then having to take kind of a day off the next day and he'd ideally be playing five or six days a week. So what I kind of said to him was, you know, what you might find with doing exercises and rehab and conservative management for something like knee OA, knee osteoarthritis, mm. is that your pain levels might be the same, but you can do more with the same amount of pain. So you can now do a whole bowls match. Your pain levels might be the same, but it's not going to wipe you out for a day or so afterwards. It's not going to you know, be it's not going to put you out completely for the rest of the week. Yeah. The analogy I use for this is a bit like, if we think of our joints like a, a tank of gas or a tank of petrol as we're in the UK, <laughs> well, when those, when we have a bit of osteoarthritis in that, in that knee joint, it's a bit like we're running on kind of 10% fuel. And then when we play that bowls match or we go down the stairs or whatever it might be, go for a dog walk, it drops us down to zero. Mm. So that being at zero, we're wiped out, we're in, we're in a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, 
And, you know, I said it wipes us out. What exercise does is it increases the capacity of that fuel tank. So it means it puts our, you know, fuel level back up to 30, 40%, for example. So then when we do that bowls match, it takes away that 10% again, but we're then running on 20 or 30% rather than running ourselves down to zero. So, you know, whether we call it increases our threshold, it just means we can do more with that joint. So are we making it stronger? Maybe not but we are definitely making that functional capacity greater. And I think that's the, the important thing. People come to see us and they expect that exercise is going to help you know, decrease their pain. But actually, it might not be. And I think it's just a, an important caveat to know, an important conversation I had with the patient this week. That's, that's mm. kind of how we started on this. So it's this knockdown effect of whilst uh, certain treatment styles, well, most treatment styles uh, or exercises, they're not the direct decrease in pain but they are at a direct increase in capacity. It's the increase in capacity that should hopefully then decrease pain because of output, increased strength, movement, whatever it is, uh, rubbish being flushed out, all that sort of nonsense. Yeah. Um, but it's not, that doesn't mean that it's an absolute certainty. So that's where the, the weak link is. We can increase your capacity usually mm. that sh- that will hopefully decrease some pain, but it can't be promised. The, you may still have the same pain, yeah. but hey, you have got increased capacity. So there yeah. are some wins in it. Yeah. And then for me, kind of the next stage with a patient like that is when you have tried that mm. and then you cannot do the things you're wanting to do. So if you have, you know, your bolts is your life. And for, you know, late 60s, early 70s chap, playing a lot of bowls, that's his regular activity, that's mm. his main social function. For him not to be able to do that has longer term kind of socioeconomic um, implications. You know, yeah, with huge. him, that, that social life, the, his friends, his family, everything's involved around a club. Mm. So for him not to be able to do that, as I said, has long term implications. So you have to think of the bigger picture of, yes, no one wants to have to have surgery. However, in some cases, it can be really, really beneficial. So I'll say to a patient, when it is stopping you doing your knee or your hip is stopping you doing what you want to do, mm. then it's time to consider the surgery. If you tried everything else, now some people will say, I never want to have surgery. And then that's a different conversation. Some people say, I don't want to try anything else. I want to have surgery. And then there's a conversation to be had around Well, actually often the better you go into surgery, you know, arguably the better you come out of it. So, um, you know, there's conversations to be had there as well. So it's slightly is nuanced, isn't it? Going to be with, with every patient. But yeah, and I think kind of, we talk a lot about back pain, kind of similar goes for back pain when we're looking at, um, you know, whether it's doing a cat camel or a simple stretch or a squat or whatever it is for back pain, we aren't necessarily doing that specifically because that cat camel is going to decrease pain. It might improve some movement. It might then, and then therefore decrease pain. It might just put a bit of a gentle load through that, through those lumbar spine muscular muscles and joints which we know is going to be a good thing so yeah exactly the same thing goes for back pain in that it's about increasing that capacity can you do more with the same levels of pain and then hopefully the back will follow that natural favorable natural history and we won't have any pain i guess that's the uh the point we're trying to make on 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 this episode so if you are utilizing exercise and we or exercises rehabilitative work whatever you want to call it and we really hope that you are as part of your um uh treatment plan you should be persevering we should be looking not we shouldn't just be focusing on pain levels as our goal actually we should be looking at function capacity and usage first and then pain would be a nice second and i think that that works for you know a lot of people post in our facebook group and they talk about I've been given these exercises and then they don't do anything. 
you know, oh, they give me you know three sets of ten glute bridges, or you know some squats or some knees to chest stretches, whatever it might be. And you go, they don't do anything, and you're like, you know that that arguably is not the point here. If they do that one exercise and it helps reduce the pain, brilliant. But that is not the be all and end all of doing mm. an exercise specifically for your pain. Yeah, yeah. So re- recognizing that I think is really important. Yeah, I think that there's got to be possibly a, a slight mental shift in why we prescribe these exercises as well, coming from the therapists, surgeons, GPs, doctors, whatever it is. Um, I think if we can vocalize that better, this isn't a magic bullet. This is to increase capacity that will therefore help trickle down the rest that we've talked about. Um, that might allow people to persevere longer with them. Cause you're right. If you're, these are exercises which should help you get out of pain. They've missed a huge chunk of the middle of that equation. And when the, the, the exerciser or exercisee, um, the person doing those exercises doesn't get an immediate relief in pain, actually they may have had some improvement in function, however small, and they could have hung their hat on that yeah. and therefore carried on, been inspired, seeing that as the progression and, and, and pushed through, eventually therefore getting out of pain and understanding that there are steps and um, uh, increases to go through that early stage. That might have kept them going through that point to get to pain-free in the end. And if you say, it's an easy sell to a patient. If you say to a patient, you know, at the moment, you can't play golf because it's too sore. Would you play nine holes of golf? You know, would you want to be able to play nine holes of golf with the same levels of pain you have now? You know, it doesn't wipe you out, you know, to, to the same degree that playing one hole does now. In you know, 100%, I say 100%, most people will say yes. Yeah. Because they're like, okay, I can do the thing I want to and the pain is manageable. So if we can manage that pain and do what I want to do, then wicked, yeah. And that's a uh, a good a good thought process to have, I guess, with a, with a patient. So it gets you that buy-in. We want people to move. We want people to exercise. So, you know, it's a win-win really for us. I don't know where kind of it stems from. The only thing other, we kind of spoke about this on a previous episode was to that kind of fixed pain mentality um, of patients. You know, they think that, oh, this exercise is going to fix my pain. And is that a hangover from our society where we are focused on that? I need to fix pain now. I need to take a painkiller um, you know, everything's geared up to, I should never have pain when arguably pain is a very normal thing that we all go through and we just have to learn how to kind of work around it. You know, if we were out in our, you know, I was going to say 18th century before that, you know, as you know, yeoman plowing, plowing the fields yeah, and we had some back pain, we wouldn't really kind of, there'd be no, do, no one to see about it. You just kind of put up with it and get on, you know, if pain was a very normal aspect of society. It's only in the last, you know, you know 50, 60 years that, We've had easy access to a lot of these kind of ways to kill pain. And I think that that hangover from that has made, meant people think that we should never have pain. So have we lost some resilience? Have we kind of, you know, having the expectation that we should never be in pain means that the pain that we suffer is worse or we by expecting that we should never have, have it? Yeah, because it's an abnormality rather than a feature of yeah. a normal system, yeah. a warning signal to yeah. tell you what to do. Yeah. yeah. Like, does everyone have pain? to some degree, somewhere, mm. some of the point, yeah, some, some of the time, that is normal. To be completely pain-free 100% of the time is arguably not normal. And I guess we say this with patients when they come in and say, I've got a bit of a niggle here. I'm like, yeah, but you've run 100 miles this week. Like, <laughs> it's normal to be going to be a bit stiff and a bit sore. You know, those things are normal to a degree. Mm. You know, whether you're up in training or moving house, you know, things might get a bit 
a bit stiff and a bit sore. So I think that's another another important adage. I think it's understandable to agree because look, pain's terrible. Like it's it's immobilizing. It takes over. It wears you down. It it uh, seeps into every corner of life. If you've got consistent high level pain, it can be incredibly drawing and demotivating and, and just just terrible. However, I think yeah, if it's if it's explained properly, actually we're looking at pain from a different angle. Um, but for some reason, it's it's not a norm yet. Our desire to be completely pain-free overrides. You're right. So is that societal or is it just uh, yeah. uh, a human want because we don't like being in pain? Yeah. And the it, I guess it goes back to that region beta paradox. Remember that? Mm, yeah, yeah. We spoke about it, which is, you know, when you are in region beta paradox, there's the, the argument that if something's really bad, you do something about it. So when yeah. you're in really, really bad pain you won't be in that for very long. If you've broken your leg, you're not going to suffer through it. You'll probably go to the hospital. Whereas when we have lower levels of something that's impacting us, we, we often stick with them for a very long time. And it's compared with people who are in sucky relationships. They stick them out for quite a long time. Whereas if the relationship was really bad, they'd get out of it. So we will sit in that region beta suffering for longer than we should do when yeah. actually we could might be able to do something about it in some cases but because it's not quite bad enough you know we see patients all the time and they say yeah I've had this for quite a while it wasn't quite bad enough to do something about but I'm getting a bit fed up with it now but yeah. if someone's got that you know 11 out of 10 back pain they've woken up with they will drop everything to come and see you you know and yeah. get some advice or to ring 111 or whatever it is or to go to the GP and get some painkillers because it's so intense they'll do something about it you know yeah. and it's a I think it's a stoic quote about that they talk about um uh, you know, no pain is not endurable because if it is, it is. If it is not endurable, it won't last very long. Okay. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it's and if it is, you know, so arguably all pain mm. is endurable. And I quite like that. I quite like that analogy. I guess it's similar. Well, if you're stuck in region beta paradox, but yeah, we did an episode on that ten episodes ago. Yeah. Called the region beta paradox, and there's a recent post on our Instagram page about it as well. So go and check it out. It's a really interesting mental model. Cool. So I think that about sums up today's episode. It's nice to do an episode in the flesh, you know, rather than doing one a rarity. A rarity. A rarity. I said starting out the podcast doing them all in flesh and then uh, um, dropping to Zoom because the pandemic means it's kind of carried on that way, I guess. So as always, um, thank you so much for listening. If you are someone who is struggling with pain, head on over to our website at uh, www.thebackpainpodcast.com where you can find someone tried and tested by us who is local to you to help with your back pain or any other injuries. Simply pop in your postcode onto the website and you'll find someone very close to you, hopefully. And if you're a practitioner listening and you'd like to be listed on our therapy providers network, then please reach out and we will help um, you with the application to get you listed. Um, thanks everyone for listening. As a reminder, head on over to our socials, give us a follow at the back pain pod on pretty much all social media platforms. And if you have any questions or would like us to do an episode on anything, Drop us an email on hello at the back pain podcast and we will do our best to get back to you as soon as we can. That's it from me. Cheers, guys. Over and out. Hold up. 